Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Have you ever considered the power of speech? Think about it. How many sayings we use to talk about misspeaking? Foot in the mouth, mouth off, loud mouth. Yet our words can be incredibly life-giving. We can build someone up, encourage someone who is lonely, or speak a blessing over a friend. Even what we say to ourselves has the power to become our identity. Join us for a new series on speech as we learn how our talk can align with what God says. Let's talk. All right, hey everybody, help me welcome all of our first time guests. We're so glad to have you guys with us both here in the room, as well as those of you online. Well, hey, we're in a series where we're talking about what we talk about. We're talking about our words, the things we say, and uh, the impact it has on the lives of people around us as well as our own lives. And, uh, you know, it turns out that the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so last week we laid a foundation, part one. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and get it because we understood that God intends for our words to actually have power. And uh, we need to understand that power. And then if we've lost some of that power, we talked about how maybe we can get back to what God intended for us to do with when we open our mouths. And so today for part two, uh, we're going to talk about one of the hardest things to do at all. And that is to talk to other people in a way that builds them up. Y'all didn't agree with that. Maybe you know how hard it actually is. How many times do we get in trouble with what we say? Like you you just meant the nicest thing and it didn't come out that way. Or you told a joke and you're the only one that thought it was funny or or something like that. Hey, has anybody in here seen the movie A Quiet Place? Anybody Quiet Place people in here? Okay. So uh, I'm going to fill you in for those of you that didn't raise your hands. And uh, don't blame me for spoiling the movie. It's several years old. It's your own fault. You haven't seen it yet. And um, so anyway, this, this movie, A Quiet Place, is about Earth being invaded by aliens, really, really ugly aliens. And they can't see, but they can hear even the tiniest noises. And it turns out that they like to kill and eat whatever makes that tiny noise. And so obviously humanity has turned into a very dark situation upon Earth as you can't talk and you can't make any noise. And so I sat here watching this movie and my first thought was, Man, it's got to be great living in a world where nobody argues. Like, I I bet there's no arguments. I mean, to call your brother or sister stupid, it's just not worth it. It's the last word you're ever going to say. Stupid. And then you're gone. You know, alien comes out of nowhere, eats your head. Sorry, but that's kind of how the movie goes. Or or like, you're not going to remind your husband he didn't take the trash out. It's not worth the argument. It's the last argument you'll ever have with him. Is it really the garbage? Is that the way you want to go? You know, so I watched this movie thinking, wow, that'd be really cool. Nobody ever argues. But then I also was thinking, I bet people are lonely because they can't talk at all, really. And it's very hard to communicate. And spoiler alert, the the star family in the movie had a deaf child. And so that's one of the, the ways that they're able to communicate. But most people don't have the ability to do sign language. And so think about this. You, you can't share dreams and feelings and And you can't apologize and and reconcile over something that just happened or was said. And and you're just so alone, even if there are people around you. And so we end up missing one of the things we need most. And that is for people to speak life. We need people to encourage us. We need people to lift us up. That's that's one of the most important things that we can have in life. And, And if we were in a world without communication, that's what we would miss. Well, sadly, we are in a world filled with communication. 
And sometimes we still miss having people to speak life. And so that's what we're talking about today. Again, I do think it's one of the hardest things for us to do, but hopefully we'll get a little bit better at it by the time we're done. And, uh, you know, it really all comes from God's purpose, and that is that we would speak life to other people. Matter of fact, let me share this with you. It's out of Proverbs 10 that says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That's our purpose. Like, get that. Just look at that for a minute. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. It is our purpose to speak life, that our words would be like a fountain of life. And if you've been around Grace Life, you know I love to take words that are like, I call them Bible words, uh, words that we don't usually use outside of church. And I like to try to make them very simple. And so the word righteous is one of those Bible words. And uh, if you ever come across the word righteous in the New Testament, the best way to think of it is people who are right with God because of the death of Jesus, his sacrifice, they've received the free gift of salvation, they're right with God, they're going to heaven. But in the Old Testament, especially in a proverb, the word righteous is really just talking about people who live in a godly way, God's people living in a godly way. And since this is the Old Testament, let's substitute that. It says that God's people living in a godly way, their mouth is a fountain of life. But as I said, that's one of the hardest things to do, to make sure that every word that comes out of our mouth would speak life and and bring life to everyone around us. So uh, I want to try to take what should be a really complex or could be a complex issue and and see if we can simplify it. We're going to bring it down to one sentence. It's in the Bible. It's our main passage for today. It's actually in the book of Ephesians, if you're following along. Chapter 4, verse 29, Ephesians 4, 29. Don't worry, it'll be on the screen right here. And uh, we're going to break this verse down because there are really three things that it tells us. And if we can understand these three things, I think we'll be able to, to begin to speak life to everyone around us. And so Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Again, three things. So if we can understand the three things this sentence is telling us, I think we're going to be good. So here we go. The first one, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And the the idea of corrupting here, some of you in your English translations, yours may say unwholesome. Uh, There are some other English words that are put in there. But I I want to take us back to the original language. I think it will help us here. The Greek word actually means rotten. There you go spoiled rotten and spoiled and matter of fact outside of like this verse this language this word is only used in the greek language to describe fruit and fish there you go rotten and spoiled fruit and fish and it's it's kind of like what we have the saying that one bad apple spoils the whole bunch right and a lot of times we like to think we can just go around and and make a bad joke there and say something mean to that person and just kind of go on with life and and they're just isolated incidences and and those people should be fine But actually what the Bible is trying to tell us is that one little word can spoil the entire person's life, can spoil their their attitude, their demeanor, their belief in themselves, their belief in friendship. I mean, mean, it can destroy everything. It's only used of fruit and one other thing, fish. I want to share with you a story that will hopefully bring the point home. I had COVID a few months ago. And you know, some people, when they get COVID, they lose their sense of taste and smell. Anybody in here lost your taste and smell if you had COVID any time? Okay. And so uh, right before I got COVID, like the day before the symptoms showed, I went to the grocery store to buy some fresh fish because I love fresh fish. It's one of our favorite things to eat. We'll eat fish three or four times a week if, if given the choice. And uh, so I bought some ahi tuna. And if you know anything about ahi tuna, it's the pink stuff that you just like sizzle both sides real quickly and you still eat it pink. You're supposed to eat it rare. 
And, and so what that means is if there's anything inside of it that uh, you needed to kill, well, you don't kill it because you eat it rare, right? Okay, so here's what happened. I had COVID, and on the 10th day of being sick and not getting any better, I finally got so frustrated, and I was missing church, that, that I, I went to the ER, and the doctor gave me some medicine and, and helped me figure out what was going on. It turns out at that point I had pneumonia. And so, anyway, I started to get better about four days later. So this is about two weeks in. And at this point, I thought, I would like my fish. This is a very true story. And so I went to the refrigerator and I looked and it was still pink, just like the day I bought it. So I thought it looks good. And I took it out of the plastic and, and since I couldn't smell, it smelled fine. <laughs> and I did exactly what you do with tuna. You pan sear it both sides real quick and you eat it pink. And since I'd lost my sense of taste, it tasted fine. And then my first outing in two weeks that night, I went to teach my life group about an hour later. And as I'm sitting there talking at my life group, I began to discover something is not right. (laughs) Something is very not right. And so that night, my, my entire life group thought I was the rudest pastor ever because as soon as I was done, which was shorter than normal, I left without talking to anyone. And I spent the next three days, I won't give you all the details, but food poisoning took me down physically. And when you're physically drained and when you've already been sick for two weeks and you're sick again, I mean, the last thing you need as a follow-up to COVID is pneumonia and then food poisoning. Like it's just not encouraging. And, And so you're emotionally drained and you're just like, seriously, what have I done, God? What have I done wrong? You know, you're just, you're just in that place. And the reason I tell you that story is because This word is implying that the way that fish took me down emotionally and physically and just just really just made me not want to get out of bed, that's the power that our words can have on other people. So let no rotten words come out of your mouths. Then it goes on the second thing to say, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. That's what our words are actually supposed to do. And the idea of building up, what it really means is building up the person listening according to their needs. And this is really important. Don't miss this. Not according to the speaker's needs. We're we're not considered. If you're the one talking, your needs are not what needs to come out at that moment. What's supposed to come out at that moment is what is good to build up the one listening. But all too often, we go to have a conversation with somebody and all we're interested in is what we want to say to them. And we're not really concerned about how they feel about it or, or what they think or how they're processing. And then it goes on to, to clarify this word as fits the occasion. And once again, I want to take you back to the original language. Because the original language literally means the matter at hand. Only the matter at hand. But come on, y'all, what do we do? We bring up everything in the past because we want to win our argument. We want to make our point. And so we talk about old stuff. And if I could just encourage you, if you want to have a life-giving conversation, there are two words you shouldn't bring into it. You already know what I'm about to say, right? Always, never. See, the minute you start saying you always and you never, you are no longer talking about the matter at hand. You are talking about their entire life. You are putting them on trial for everything they've ever done, everything they've ever said. And has anybody ever had a successful conversation from that point forward? No. Matter of fact, really great marriage book by Craig Rochelle. He makes one of the points 
in there on how to fight fair. He says never get historical. And a lot of people are like, this is a typo. I'm sure he meant hysterical. Well, that's a good idea. Don't get hysterical either. But no, he didn't make a typo. What he means is never go with you always and you never. The matter at hand. Matter of fact, I've, I've done some marriage counseling and tried to teach people never say you always and you never. And they try to say, where is that in the Bible? Here. Here is where it's in the Bible. Only say what is good for the occasion. Going back to something that was done five years ago will not help what you're talking about right now. And then the third point is so that it may give grace to those who hear. It is obviously talking about the person you're speaking to. But it's actually also including anyone who may hear. How many times have you maybe spoken to one of your children and the other children upstairs later came to you and talked to you about what they heard or how they heard your tone of voice or something? Or have you ever had to speak to an employee and had other employees kind of stand further away the next time they talked to you because they heard as well? And so the, the simplest way that we can boil down the idea of give grace is speak life. That's it. It, it. Speak life is what we are called to do. Again, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. What we're supposed to do is be a fountain of life to speak life to anyone who's hearing so that we build them up as fits the occasion without spoiling with rotten words. Now, at this point, some of you would say, well, that sounds a whole lot like what my mama taught me. This must be the Bible's version. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And then we discount this verse and you know why most of us discount this verse we know it's in the bible we've heard it it's been quoted a lot but we really don't try to apply it to our lives is because we don't think it's practical how can you go around all the time how can you have a marriage that you only say something nice or say something not at all how can you help your children when they bring home three f's on their report card if you can only say something nice well, honey, those are the best looking F's I've ever seen. And you get more than anybody else. And, and you know that's not practical, <laughs> right? And so a lot of people say, okay, well, that's one of those Bible verses. You know, if you're hanging out with Jesus, you can only say nice things then. But how do we live a normal life in a broken world with difficult conversations, right? I hope somebody is, is asking that. Uh, what I want to tell you is you can still fulfill this verse and have hard conversations. Because hard conversations do need to happen. This verse is not saying that parents and children, spouses, bosses and employees, or pastors and church members can't have hard conversations about character issues or sin. There can be some really difficult conversations. But in order to do this in a way that still fulfills what the verse is telling us, I want to give you three ground rules that I think will be very helpful and, and practical ways that we can still do Ephesians 4.29 and have an honest conversation. Ground rule number one is this. Don't say, oh, I'm sorry, not everything you think needs to be said. Not everything you think needs to be said. If you were here for part one, we talked about the importance of mean what you say. Mean what you say. But you don't get to flip that around and say everything you mean. That's not the way the world works because what we do is we get into a, a problem today. Personally, I, I just think we're, we're really at kind of a height where personal opinions are too freely offered. Anybody agree with me on that one? Like our world is filled with personal opinions being way too freely offered. And, and here's the problem. Many of those opinions are not true and perfect. And many of those opinions are not helpful to the people that hear them. 
And actually, if I could just tell you, social media has made it worse. Social media has turned every single one of us into a philosopher, a commentator, and a judge. <laughs> We've got like three careers we never even did any school for. And so free speech is, is, is just fair game. But what we really take that to mean is hurtful speech is now free. In my opinion, is all that matters. And well, we've brought this freedom from social media into our real lives. You know, it wasn't that long ago before there were things we would never even think of writing in a letter. Now we put it out in a post in a matter of seconds for all the world to see. And then we've taken it to the point we speak this way to the people in our lives. And we wonder why we have some broken relationships the way we do. So, ground rule number one is everything, not everything you think needs to be said. Second ground rule, not everything true needs to be said. Not everything true needs to be said. Now, before anybody gets up and walks out, and especially before the young people applaud that they can now lie to their parents, that's not what I just said. I'm not saying to hide the truth, but let let me give you a silly illustration before we get serious. If you ever watch a movie with your husband, and and, and Brad Pitt's in the movie, and you look over at your husband... He doesn't look as good as Brad Pitt. And I'm pretty sure he knows. But you should never tell him. Those words should never be uttered. They're true. They never need to be said. But on a more serious note of why not everything true needs to be said, maybe you're at a life group. Maybe it's a men's group. And at the end of the men's group, you're talking about how you can pray for one another. There are some true things about your wife that don't need to be unveiled to dishonor her. And you can flip the gender if it's a women's life group and you're talking about how, how the group can be paying, praying for you this week. You, you don't need to say everything that is true about your husband. Not everything true always needs to be said. And, and then we've got this saying about how we've done this, by the way. We've got a saying that kicks someone while they're down. You know what that means? Is that we tell someone the truth when they don't need to hear it. I mean, you, you really don't have to go to someone and go, well... You know the reason that your brand new car is wrapped around that tree is because you're an idiot and drove too fast. I mean, they probably know that as they're either in the back of a police car or an ambulance. That, that's not the moment to tell them everything true. So look, not everything true needs to be said in every single moment. And, and the truth is this has been a lifelong struggle for me. Um, I would like to say that I'm, I'm getting better at this, and uh, my wife's on the front row, so I'm just going to preach this direction for a moment. Um, but, but at least for a very long time in my life, I honestly thought, as long as it's true, and as long as I think I'm right, then, any, then, anything, then anything that I wanted to say was someone else's problem. As long as my words were true and right, how they felt about it was their problem. And the the serious problem here is I'm not the only one in the world that thinks this. I'm not the only one in the world that believes if I think I'm right, and if this is still true, then I can use it to tear you down. It actually, in my experience as a pastor, seems to be about 50-50 in marriages. There's at least one of you in every marriage, almost. And, uh, well, it's really not helpful. But true things do need to be said, right? True things do need to be said. And so the question is, how do we do that? Well, true things need to be said by the right person at the right moment in a way that will help. So you need to ask the question, are you that person? Is this the role God has given you 
in their lives. Are you that person? Is this the moment? And is this the best way to say it? So next time you go to have a conversation, I'd encourage you, ask those three questions before you speak. And then the last one, even when true and hard things need to be said, the last ground rule is correction should still bring life. And granted, you can't make this happen all the time because the Bible has many, many passages, lots of Proverbs especially, about how a wise person will receive correction, but a fool will not. And I wish I could tell you that every person you meet in the world is wise. There's a reason that there's a lot in the Bible about the fool, because there are fools. There are people that no matter how good of a job you do, no matter how uh, biblically and kindly you speak, some people will never receive it. However, as much as it depends on you and me, the mouth of the righteous should be a fountain of life. If you have to speak to an employee... If you have to speak to someone in your unit, if you have to speak to a child, if you have to speak to your spouse about something hard, as much as it depends on you, speak life, even when it's a hard conversation. And so those are our ground rules. What I want to do now is is talk about the power, because that's really the whole point, the power to bring life or death. That's what this series is about. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in our tongue. And so how can we speak life? That's what... Proverbs 10 is saying, that's what Ephesians 4.29 is saying, is that we need to speak life. And so I want to share with you the three most practical ways that we ultimately speak life when we use our words. And first of all, I just want to tell you, if you struggle with this, you're not alone. This is my struggle. It's it's been, well, honestly, I think it's a lot of people's struggle, but particularly it's been mine because I I didn't grow up in, in a world that modeled really kind speech. And I'm not just talking about you know, my home. I'm just talking about the world I grew up in. I mean, we have people who speak to us and it doesn't always come out that way. Like maybe you missed a shot in the game and the coach did not say to you, oh, that's all right. You really did your bet. You gave it a great try. Hey, just have a seat and rest for a minute beside me. No, they said, you fool, you missed a shot. Get on the bench, right? And so we grew up in a world where we're just not used to people speaking in biblical and edifying ways. And then we watch TV, and, and I discovered in TV that people who have the gift of sarcasm rule the world, and they, they make everybody laugh. And that's when I discovered I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's amazing. And, and over the years, I've, I've learned that the spiritual gift of sarcasm is not really a spiritual gift at all, and... And it tends to hurt a lot of people. And so I've had to, to filter the thoughts that want to come out of my mouth. And, and boy, I'm going to tell you, people open themselves up to really good comments. And I have learned to just stand here and share with myself alone and quietly the thought in my head. Because, well, sarcasm is always hurtful. Did y'all know that? I mean, rarely is sarcasm going to be a a useful tool and so we watch tv where we tell people off and the person who tells them off the best and wins the day you know and and so that's the world we grew up in so the three things i'm about to share with you are not natural to probably any of us probably any of us so again you might want to write these down because it's something you might want to talk to god about and and pray through the first one is our, our our words are supposed to be faith building They're actually supposed to have the power to speak faith into someone's life. Because here's the truth. Condemnation 
is the devil's native language. You will never have to tell someone why they should not try and why they will not succeed. The devil's already done that. You will never have to utter those words. Anyone around you already knows why they think there's no chance. The devil's been whispering to them since the day they were born. We've heard words like, you're ugly, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. You won't make the team. Why bother to try out? That, those thoughts have been around us forever. What we're supposed to be is the mouth of the righteous, a fountain of life. We're supposed to be the people who speak the opposite. As the devil is whispering and telling them how bad they are and what little chance they have of being anything useful in this world, we're supposed to be the voice of God. We're supposed to be the one that breathes life. And so maybe you have... A child that's thinking to try something new. And instead of looking at the child going, nah, I don't think so. You look at it go, I think that's a great idea. Who knows, that could be one of the things you're best at. Or maybe you have a spouse that, that's had a lifelong dream. And instead of just saying, oh, we can't afford that or we can't take that risk. You say, you know what, why don't you go for it? And I'm right here beside you for better or for worse. And unfortunately, there's probably a decade or two of hurtful words from both of us that prohibit somebody from being faith building to their spouse in that moment. And by the way, I, I need to tell you, I'm not talking about fake encouragement. Fake encouragement does not build faith. Has anybody in here seen American Idol? Somebody told those people, you'd be great at singing. You should give it a shot. That is not what I'm talking about. Because when they came home and watched themselves on TV and were mocked and humiliated, that was not building faith. Faith building still has to be true. But faith building can say something like, actually, I don't think American Idol would be best. I, I, I don't think singing is your best skill, but you know what is. You know what you're amazing at? So you can speak faith. There, that's what God has called us to do, is to be someone that lifts up God's purpose and the gifts that God has put in them. And points them to something better than what the devil does. The second one, our words are meant to bring power, is to be destiny creating. Do you realize the words you speak can actually point someone in a life direction? It can change how they see themselves and what they think they're on the earth to do. Actually, I was, I was at uh, an event uh, a few months back and there were... Uh, uh, two preachers and, and another person that all spoke. And so I was, I was one of the preachers. I, I spoke for a minute. And then one of the other uh, preachers got up, spoke for a minute. And then this other person, who's a gentleman here in Grace Life, got up and he spoke. And I sat there going, oh, my goodness, he is the best one here. <laughs> like, he's actually gifted at this. He's called to do this. And, and, and he starts preaching the gospel. And I'm like, he's preaching the gospel better than half of the pastors I know. And so when I saw him later, I said, do you realize you were the best preacher there that day? Have you ever thought about maybe God's put something in you to, to speak or to preach? And to, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's got a different career for you. And so then he scheduled breakfast with me to say, yes, actually, I, I believe God's called me to be a pastor. What, what can I do to take the first step? See, it was just a word of encouragement that unlocked something that was hidden within and we can do the same thing, maybe a parent to a child to be able to say, hey, you, you are amazing at music or, or sports or math or whatever. And have you ever thought about why God made you that way? Have you ever thought about how God could use that to like really change this world around you? Instead, we tend to say, oh, I'm not worried about your math. You made an A in that. Let's talk about your science. You made a D in that. Let's talk. 
And we, I'm not saying we shouldn't address the D in science. I'm just saying we don't see the opportunity to create destiny. Or maybe you've got a friend going through something really difficult and say, look, I, I realize this is one of the hardest seasons of your life, but look, God wouldn't waste this. Can you imagine how God might take this and use it in your life to change the world? And I literally just met someone who God did that. A woman became a widow at a very young age, way younger than anyone would want to. And, and as she went through that difficult situation, she felt some people saying that and felt God saying that. And, and so she said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And God said, well, why don't you go back to the nation you were in? She was a missionary. And she had lost her husband in, in an African country. And God says, why don't you go back now that you understand what widows are going through? And she started what was then deemed the number one NGO on the entire continent of Africa. That's powerful. That's destiny-creating words is what that is right there. And then the third way that our words have power is to be identity-affirming. I think it is quite possible that helping someone form a God-given, purpose-filled, identity-affirmed view of themselves could quite possibly be the most powerful thing you ever do outside of salvation. Giving them a reason to get out of bed and know that their life has purpose every single day, I'm going to tell you, outside of salvation, I don't know there's anything more powerful. And so, look, I, I, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts here. The first one is, is challenge negative self-talk from people when you hear it. I mean, how often do you hear people say things like, I'm so stupid. And sadly, we go, yep, you are. No. I don't think we realize how much our, our jokes and our sarcasm and our sibling rivalries and all those things hurt each other. Instead, when you hear a coworker, a friend, or a child say, I'm so stupid. No, absolutely you're not because God doesn't make stupid and you are God's creation. Well, I'm so clumsy. Well, actually... You know, our words do have the power of life and death. Maybe you've just said that a few times too many. Why don't you stop saying that? Because I'm pretty sure God didn't make you to trip up every stair you woke up. Why don't we challenge some self-talk and, and remind people of who they are and how God has made them to be? You guys with me? You know what I'm saying? You know, it's a miracle, um, honestly, the grace of God that, that my wife and my first son still love Jesus and me. Because... Uh, the things I'm sharing with you today are not things I'm expert at, and I, I didn't honestly learn until I'd caused a whole lot of damage uh, to the two of them. But then I've got three children that came after uh, my firstborn son, and, and so they're reaping the benefits of, of what I've learned. And You know, as long as they've been alive and heard, they've been called names of identity affirmation. As long as they've been able to hear They've thought their names are Nate the Great, Awesome Caden, and Sophie Noel Princess. It's just who they are. You're great. There is something in you that's amazing. And it's so true that uh, when Sophie was four, uh, we got into a little problem in a restaurant uh, as uh, the waitress simply asked my kids their names in a family of six. I'm at one end of the table and, and the kids are at the opposite end and so the waitress asked Sophie her name, and she says, as proudly as she could, my name is Sophie Noel Princess Currents. 
And her two brothers, of course, jump in to point out that that's not accurate. That's not your name. And so they get into a fight and it starts to get loud and all the other tables start to look on. And then Sophie yells down the table as everybody's watching, Daddy, isn't my name Princess? And I look at her and the waitress in front of the whole room and said, it absolutely is. I think she's old enough now to know that's not on her birth certificate. But it's her identity. Her identity is she's special. She's going to be treated like a princess by me. And nobody's taking her out of my house until they make her feel the same way. And Nate... Nate is great, and I love it because he smiles every time. He's 15, and I still make him smile every time I say those words. And awesome Caden, well, there's a little problem with Caden. See, he inherited his dad's spiritual gift of sarcasm. (laughs) So I still believe deep inside he loves to hear it, but we're working on his response to that. We can affirm identity. I learned something new from another pastor. You can steal this if you'd like. I just stole it last year. And he he told me something that he said over his kids every single day as he sent them off to school. So I tend to be the bus driver in in our house when when I can be, and and, and I drop the kids off. And so I started saying this uh, uh, last year as they get out of the car. Remember you're a leader. Change the world. Don't let the world change you. Last words they hear as they go off to school Again, we won't talk about Caden's response to that as he's getting out of the car or what he thinks of middle school, but that's a whole nother point. I'd like to call out something that we need to know. As you're listening to me, some of us are thinking, well, Jimmy, that would be very easy to do a so-and-so in my life, but oh, you don't know that person. I mean, God, I could never speak that way with that person. Here's the reality we need to face. Jesus says, out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth shall speak. So the problem is it really what you say to that person if you can't speak life to them the problem is what you think about them inside the real problem is how you actually see this person and I realize we've all got relationships like co-workers and bosses and neighbors and maybe family members that you really struggle with what you think of them and I would encourage you to go and talk to God about that go and talk to God and ask God to help you think of them what God thinks of them. It would be a whole lot easier to speak life to somebody if you think well of them. I'm going to close today with a very simple but difficult challenge. I want to share with you what I think might be the the most challenging verse on speech in all of the Bible. It's out of 1 Peter, and it says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. You know, I want to say this is in the context of spiritual gifts. The next sentence is about how you should serve if you've been given the gift of serving. And so some people would say, well, if that, that, Jimmy, that's saying if you've got the gift of communication and preaching like you do, they should be very careful to preach Scripture accurately. And I'd say, amen, that's a part of it. But I would bring you back to the context. The context is how God has given us gifts that are meant to bring life, if it's serving or if it's speaking. And here's the point, very simply. Every word that comes out of our mouth is meant to be a gift of God to the people who hear it. That 
just raised the bar, didn't it? That just raised the bar. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Every word out of our mouth is supposed to be a gift from God through us to them. So what if we actually all committed to speak life? Let me pray for us. God, we want to begin today by asking you to forgive us for all the words we've spoken that brought harm and hurt and pain, for all the things that we've said that did not speak life. God, now we understand. You created us in your image. You spoke everything in the being, and our words are supposed to bring power and life to those around us as well. So God, would you help us to do that? Would you change what we think of people? Would you change how we speak? Would you help us to be your voice in this world? And if you were just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Just like the words we say can be hurtful and even sinful, there are many things we do that separate us from God. And the good news is, when we became separated from God and we had no answer and no way to change it, God said, let me do something about that. So he sent his son Jesus to live on the earth, knowing that his perfect life, when he was crucified, would be able to pay for your sins and mine, that we could be forgiven. And then the same power that raised Jesus from the dead could grant you and me eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation. But... You and I, every person, at some point in time, has to receive that free gift. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me thank you that I'm forgiven. My prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with them. Amen.